yes, what happened is awful. What happened to your mother is fucking awful. What happened to you here, here, and here, that was fucking awful. That is not in your control. What is in your control is how you react to it and how much longer do you want the narrative and your entire personality to be the death of your mom? So isn't life like about getting uncomfortable and then sitting in that discomfort? Not yes, and I, happens. as a you don't know me very well, and I feel like I can't do this to you based mm. on my the last hour we spent together. I like making people feel uncomfortable. I, I, I intentionally do it. What are you talking about? That's my biggest kink. And that's what I'm saying. I love what, making people feel uncomfortable. And that's why I I wonder if we had a battle of uncomfortability. Is that a word? Well, I mean, we'll probably be recording for an hour, so perhaps we should keep score. For some reason, I feel like I'm on call or, call my call my daddy. What's that podcast? Call her daddy. Call her daddy. Yeah. Someone told me, I was like, why did you not think of that? I'm like, bitch, I don't know. Cause I'd be loaded and hanging out right now. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like that's what our podcast, I call yeah. us daddy. Like mom. call, call us daddy. Call us daddy. We just did We're it. We're done. That's it. Guys, thank you for tuning into another episode of Dead Talks. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess we got to actually start this conversation. Uh, we are remembering your mother mm-hmm. who passed. She did. She's she- so fucking dead. <laughs> Again, she would laugh at that, but like. I know you know this in saying that. I, I don't know. I would love to look at the psychology behind people like us, like people who are feral that like to make other people <laughs> feel uncomfortable at their dead person's situation. Yeah. Is that a, I don't know if it's a coping thing. I, I, it's a coping thing for me, for sure. I, I see humor as a coping thing. It's a blend of, I don't know if it makes, yes, it makes me feel better, but I just think it's genuinely funny. The last podcast I just had with this dude that came on, I just met just like, similar to you. I just came here. We introduced ourselves and he didn't, he, he was just funny because he, he told me he listened to my podcast. So Eric, if you're listening, it's all good. I know you weren't listening to my podcast because you didn't know how my dad died, which is the premise behind this podcast. And um, he asked me, and I said 9-11, and he got like a little serious at first. And I, he's like, where did he work? And I told him he flew the plane. <laughs> and it was like such an awkward moment for about like four seconds. And then finally his manager and people that were here were like laughing. But I liked that four seconds was more important to me than the laughs. That yeah, are you kidding? That that moment of tension where I'm like, I have suffered for much longer than you have. So I want to watch you go through this. And <laughs> also that's so I told you I started doing stand-up comedy in 2018. And mind you, I haven't done it since the pandemic. That's a whole conversation. But what my main topic was was my mom. And I had a joke about her burning in hell. And the thing is, my mom is not in hell. My mom is an absolute queen. She has energy. She's probably on her next journey. Like, I don't feel that way about her, but like it felt, made me feel better to make a joke about her being a heathen, basically, because (laughs) she was. And so I'd make this whole joke and then half the time the room would erupt. It was so funny. And then half the time, like other moms in the room would clutch their pearls and be like, (gasps) right. And I'm like, bitch. Calm down. It's fine. <laughs> you don't even have to go through this. Shut up. I've, I've related to like, we you know when people make racial make racial jokes and they are that race they're making fun of. I feel the same way. If, okay, I'm talking about the person that died. I can make that joke because I experienced that. Yeah. Same thing. It's the same shit to me. Totally. I'm not relating my dad's death in 9-11 to racism. Not what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. Not in these times. It's 2022. I know. I know. I almost don't want to edit, edit that out so I get shit for it. But anyway, what happens to your mom? Like, why was she so special and weird and freaky, or how'd she die? Let's start with the freaky. Mm, God, Miami in the 70s. That, real? Oh, fuck yeah. Okay. Yeah, that girl got down. <laughs> she partied. My mom died of brain cancer. 
which is real ugly. In the medical community, they call the type of brain tumor she had, which is glioblastoma multiform. That's not Greek. I'm not speaking a different language. That's just it. When you said multiform, I, I, I immediately, for some reason, it's probably not going to be funny, but I thought it was like in Michael's. Oh my God, you think, no, it's in the, it's right behind the fabric glue. Okay. Yeah, so you know, it's back, you go get your GBM back there, okay? That was environmental. She spent too much time at Michael's. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's called GBM, and in the community, it's called the monster. And it is. It's very ugly. Very, very ugly. And it's quick. Um, the thing is, when I tell people she died over the course of a year, that sounds like a long time, but it is very quick. And with this disease, by the time they found her tumor, it was the size of a golf ball, and they estimated it was probably two weeks old. And two weeks, it's so quick. So we all have glial cells in our brain, and then one cell goes rogue and then multiplies, and then that's how the tumor forms. And she had symptoms, because that's what we were like, how long has this been going on? My mom was a really proud woman. She was extremely sharp. She was super funny. She was very loud. She took up a lot of space in the room. Like I'm, I'm, she called me mini. I'm her mini me. Like I'm her carbon. And she was having issues with speech and memory. And she didn't tell us because she was scared. And this was my senior year of college and coming from a low income background. I had put myself through school. My sister had put herself through school. So I got into my senior year. I had worked my ass off. I also wasn't a great student. Like I graduated with like a 3.2 and I was really proud of that. Like I just, school was never my thing. And I was talking to her, and I, I remember because I had just I had just got out of the shower. It was like I had a towel around me. I remember looking in. I was like on the phone with her, looking in the mirror, and she was like, "I think I have Alzheimer's," and I was like, "What?" And she was like, "I can't remember anything." And I was like, "Mom, you're so fucking dramatic." First of all, which she was, as am I. Like it just runs in the genes. And she was working two jobs at that time. And I, that's what I said. I was like, you're tired. You don't have Alzheimer's. You're exhausted. Like, that's what's going on. Everything's going to be fine. And we hung up the phone. I remember looking at it and ending the call. And I looked in the mirror. And I literally had a vision, like a quick flash of her bald at my college graduation in a wheelchair with a brain tumor. Literally thought that. And I didn't tell anyone because I was so scared of it. My mom was my best friend, m the most important person in my world, like, couldn't have been closer if we tried. And I was also very codependent. And I think there was some of that going both ways. So the thought of anything happening to her was literally my worst fear on planet Earth ever from the time I had consciousness pretty much. Like there were times when I'd have these panic attacks when I was like nine and I'd go check her breathing in the middle of the night because I was like so scared something was going to happen to her. Where does that come from? Mental illness, I would say. Um, probably one part Dateline, two parts uh, chaotic household growing up. What about cops? Yeah, cops, like okay. a, a whole gamut. But okay. so yeah, like it was just like weird stuff like that. But I remember wanting to call my sister and tell her that. But I was like, stop, don't put it in the universe. Don't put it out there. It's bad energy. Don't think about it. Three days later, I decided to, I went to school five hours away from home and it was always difficult because myself, my best friend, Courtney, since we were kids, were in this neighborhood. It was like not a great neighborhood. So all the sorority girls we went to school with were all really affluent and had different upbringings. We would always have to drive home with one of them and then our, one of our moms. By the way, Courtney's mom, my mom, good friends. Her mom died a year after mine, so it's a whole thing. Um, would pick us up and then take us south to where we're from. So I decided to go with a group of girls a day prior because I had such bad separation anxiety for my mom 
I didn't go to a sleepover until I was like 16. I never made it throughout the night. I would always throw up. And then I'd be like, mom, like I'm 13. Like, I'm going to do it this time. Mom, her, the girl's mom would call my mom and be like, yeah, she's vomiting everywhere. So you have to come get her. And then she, my mom would always laugh and be like, you're so funny. Like, everything's fine. Would like put me in her bed. And so when I went to school, I could never be away for more than a month, like max. Like I would get physically sick. Like I hated being, so I wanted to go surprise her. So I'm on my way home. It's a five-hour drive. We're like two and a half hours into it. We got stuck in really bad traffic, like dead stop for like an hour. And my mom's good friend called me and was like, I think your mom's having a stroke. And I was, and mind you, this is days after that conversation. I was like, what? And long story short, they were on the phone and she just stopped being able to speak, like slurred and then couldn't speak. And so I call my dad. I'm in hysterics. My sister at the time is living in San Francisco. Like this is Seattle for anyone that wouldn't know. And I'm, he's like, what are you talking about? And I was like, she just called me. Like, well, he's like, I'm almost home. I'll call you in a minute. And he calls me and he later told me, he gets home. My mom is sitting at the computer and she's playing a computer game and she's crying, but she's not saying anything. And he like sits down next to her and he's like, Julie, what's wrong? And she couldn't speak. And so he was like, we need to go to the hospital. And she like ran away, like all over the house and was like, mm, like fighting him, which she was so fucking stubborn and difficult. That's why she didn't tell us because she didn't want us to worry. But he took her to the hospital. By the time they got to the hospital, she was unconscious. And they took her in, did a scan saw there was a mass in her brain. Um, my dad had, mind you, we're back and forth on the phone. I'm still like trying to get home. And he calls me and he's like, I'm going to tell you something really awful and I need you to not freak out, which is the best possible way on planet earth to make someone freak out, especially someone with like me who's like, so, you know, out there. And he's like, there's a mass in your mom's brain. You, yeah, you tell Brittany she needs to get home. Like, we don't know what's going on. Long story short, the next morning she has surgery they said if it was a short surgery, less than two hours, it was bad news. And if it was more than two hours, it was good news because it, that meant there was more work that could be done. It was less likely to be something that was going to be terminal. Hour and 15 minutes. They called us back and we're like, yeah, it's not good. And a family friend's son had just died of brain cancer like three months prior. So that was really, like, really fresh in our mind. But yeah, so that was that. And then a week later, they said, your mom has eight to 12 months to live. And eight months was my college graduation, Ugh. which is a, 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 just a hoot. Like you can't even imagine. So I wanted to drop out obviously and be with her. And like the whole thing was just so traumatizing in general, but she initially didn't want to do treatment because she didn't see the point and it, she would have been dead in like three weeks probably. And, um, I basically showed up and was like, bitch, no, you're, you're doing treatment. So literally, if you don't do treatment, I'll drop out and do some shit you don't like. So <laughs> either you do treatment or I'm going to work at girls, girls, girls. Okay. Those are your options. Don't care. So I went back to school and she got treatment. And so how, how long did she live for? Technically 13 months. But so the other thing about GBM and my mom, particularly with someone who's so vivacious and sure about themselves and the way that she communicated to other people from her surgery to two months, I think she didn't, she wasn't verbal. Like she was cognitive, but she lost that ability, which was so painful for us to like, and she ran the household. She did everything, all the bills, all my parents own a small carpet cleaning company. Like she did everything for everyone. So we had to kind of work backwards and figure out like the passwords to everything and what the deal was. 
And then there was an amount of time that was maybe eight months where she was able to, she was verbal, but then it kind of started to taper off. And then the last few months she was live, I mean, she wasn't there. So, you know, I couldn't even tell you what our last conversation was or when it was, but like it was, it's different than other terminal illnesses, I would say. And that way that it it really reminds me of dementia or like Alzheimer's in some way, like they're just not the same. From the, from the day my mom had surgery on, me and my sister, not to her face because we were, you know, like shady, but me and my sister referred to her as new mom. And, and not to be unkind, she just like was different. Even when her her communication came back, she was just like this like sweet little alien that was like not fully there and was just, and the way that she went and it was like, she was so cute. I wanted to like put her in my pocket and I was like, ugh, you've been such a bee my whole life. And then now you're just like so sweet and delicate, but you know, it was a big change up and really difficult to deal with. Uh, yeah, I'd imagine. And I want to kind of flash back to what you, you mentioned when you first, when she, I think it was when she said she had Alzheimer's. That's when you had the flash? Yeah. Then that flash was her at your graduation, bald in a wheelchair? Mm-hmm. And that didn't happen actually, right? Because you, did you drop out of school or did you continue on? I graduated, which is one of the things I'm most proud of my entire life. That was that year was so hard. I was going back and forth as much as I could. My sister moved back from San Francisco. I had this like beater car was not reliable that I never brought to school before. And then I brought it because I I had to get home and help with her. So I was like home at least every other week. And again, that's 10 hours round trip and I'm doing school and all those things. And I did not have help, healthy coping mechanisms. Like I, I came unglued when my mom got sick and then glued back together like maybe five or 10 minutes ago. But like, it was a long period of time where I was a mess. So she was at my college graduation and that was kind of the thing that kept me going. And she was she was had a fabulous wig on, but she was walking and she was there, and that was one of the like most happy memories I have of my life. So it did actually that happened, more it, or less. It did happen. It less. looked a little bit different, but one of the biggest regrets I have of that whole experience because speaking about it or not would not have changed the outcome. But I was, I mean, we've talked about this in the short time we've got to know each other that I really believe what you speak into the world becomes reality, and I was so scared to make that real, but it was already happening. So I think it was really just my spirit guides or whatever you want to call it, trying to prepare me for what was coming. I wish I had told my sister. I was so scared to say anything to anyone. So I just didn't. And what was the, remind me the, the timetable from when you had that flash to when it was like a couple of weeks to when something like happened? Three days. So, I mean, you didn't have that much time to even. Yeah, it was a few, it was a few days before it happened. And up to that point, I hadn't, that was mm-hmm. her first time telling me there was any symptoms. And then later, when we asked her, we're like, how long had this been going on for? And it had, it had just been a few weeks. Like she gave us the example that one time she was brushing her teeth and she forgot what to do. So she like spit the toothpaste on the countertop and was like, that's weird. And then one time was looking at a newspaper and it looked jumbled. Like the war, it didn't look like English. I brought that up in regards to your flash because I think that's interesting. So I'm curious what you think that means. And obviously I want to get to you know, your process and shit, because you said you did some unhealthy coping mechanisms. I'm curious as to what those were. But I don't know if there's an answer to this. I've asked this to someone else in another episode, but this just came out of the blue. But is there, was was there anything prior to this that could have caused her her, her brain cancer? You know, that's so funny because I've, it's not funny. Ha ha. It's funny. It's funny. (laughs) Fucking awful. If you're on TikTok, you'll know that one. I'm not. I am actually. I'm following me my podcast on on TikTok, but I don't. I ghost and post, like I said, so I don't really scroll. 
Well, that's a trending sound. Do you mind that I I plug my podcast there? I loved it. Okay, perfect. Yeah, keep doing it. Go on. Big Pimpin'. I'm going to take this t-shirt and wear it with pride. (laughs) There you go. So I've talked about this at length with my sister because I really believe what you speak, what you think, what's around you environmentally. I had a really difficult time in 2020, as most of us did, but there was some really toxic shit in my life. So at the beginning of 2021, I changed up basically everything that I was ingesting. So that's not like, that's... I don't listen to a shit ton of true crime podcasts anymore. Like negative things all the time. Like I think that really affects your life. I think if you're focusing on everyone has stresses and whatever. That's not to take away from the fact that my mom had very real stresses. We, like I said, grew up really low income. She had so much trauma from her childhood and young adult life that she never got help for. She, like when I say I'm a carbon copy, like she had big issues with depression, not as much anxiety, which I have, but she never got treatment. She was medicated a few times, but never consistently enough, never got the chance to have access to therapy, things that could have helped her. She spent so much time, I think, hyper fixating on the things that were affecting her. And they're real. Like I don't take away from that. Like her dad left when she was six. He She lived, grew up in a trailer and he just never came home one day. And like, I can't imagine what that's like for a six-year-old little girl, even if your dad is not the greatest dad. That's really, really traumatizing. And I think that that fed into it. And the fact that it was in her brain, and again, it's like, I don't think that it was meant to be. I don't think, I just think it was really interesting that it manifested in her brain when a lot of her life she spent focusing. And it's funny because she gave me those gifts and those abilities and the awareness to know what you put out is what you get back. And for some reason was never able to fix that for herself. So I really do think that that played a role in what happened to her. I asked that because the guy that I did mention, um, the the biologist that I've had on my podcast, and for those of you that listened to prior episodes, sorry for bringing this up again, but he is a big component of how a lot of the the, the diseases we come upon, like, like cancer, most of it is preventable in a sense of, Obviously, there is a percentage that we're biologically defective with certain issues that we're born into. That's a real thing. We're not knocking that out. But a lot of the issues that we do come up with, whatever disease they may be, comes from our levels of stress, from environmental causes, whether it's trauma, this or that, or how we deal with stress. A lot of that stems from that. He he believes that 95, 90% of cancers or diseases shouldn't happen in that case because they we're not sound like we're born with them genetically or just happen out of a whim. Usually, they do come from something. So- I feel like what you just said kind of runs along the line of that. I said it in a very unintelligent manner, but the well, fact that so I think consumption also. So I really believe so it's like what we're listening to, who we're talking hmm. to, what we're watching. But also, my mom was an alcoholic, and she was open about that. Very, very functioning. Um, she did not eat well. She was so like that's I stopped. And again, it's like I read a book called Fiber Fuel that changed my life at the beginning of 2021 when I was Fiber Fuel. Fiber fueled. It sounds like just poop all day. It is, and okay. but it's but it's amazing. It's about your 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 gut is your second brain. So it's like your microbiome controls everything in your body. So I stopped eating meat as a result of that, and like have it's it's just been really really interesting. But she also didn't eat well. Like she there was a million things, and again she was aware of that, and she didn't move her body. She didn't consistently work out. Like all those different things. So I think that. It, it it's all connected. And like the biology, like I think that's part of it too. It's not just what she thought. It's like the inaction she took about certain things that could have made her feel better. And again, I don't blame her for that or anything. She 
did what she could with what she had, which was really limited resources our whole life. And she was such an incredible mom and busted her ass, not only actually working, but like emotionally. It was like constantly gassing me and my sister up and making us feel loved as much as she could. And I think that it came down to circumstance. And I wish, I'm sure you feel this way about your dad, that she was here for a million reasons, but I wish that she was here right now in the place that I am, I'm in personally so that I could have helped her in so many different ways. Yeah, I mean, that's a troubling, I, when, I, when I bring that up, it's not to be like, oh, this was preventable, something should have been done. So we don't, we, I don't know what's, I might fucking, something happen to me in fucking 10 years because I'm building shit up. That's my point is of just bringing up that for anyone that's listening or going through shit or trauma, this or that, it's so important to let that shit go because the stuff that we don't let go and we let build up can turn into something bad. That, that's kind of what I was saying. Um, but in regards to what you've gone through and how you've had that, you said your mom's kind of passed down the ability of understanding that what we put into the atmosphere or world of, what were you saying? When What you put out, you get back. She right. was she was hyper, hyper intuitive. And so am I. And she really used that as a way of like, you, you can hone in on. And I think that she learned that later in life about herself. And the more that you do hone in on it, the more you can make it work for you and help not only yourself, but help others more importantly. And I think that we really started to get in those conversations more toward the end of her life. Mm. So that's something I wish that we could even have spent more time on, but didn't get the chance to. We're staying on topic in regards to what you just said, but what you put out there, you know, I, I feel like I try to focus on that w with what I do, but is there ever a moment when, you know, say you, someone, you just taught that to someone and they want to focus on doing that for the first time. Isn't there some sense of, I feel like I'm saying these things forcefully and I don't really believe it because I'm just doing it because I'm told that should be done. And I, feel, I feel like I find myself in that moment where I'm saying, whether it's thank you, this or that, I try to focus in on saying thank you or saying these things with actual feeling behind it because I feel like without the feeling, it doesn't hold the same weight. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that even me, and we were talking about this earlier, like I, every single day, I write 10 things I'm grateful for in the morning, every single day. And then throughout the day when things go well, I say thank you like out loud about them. And the thing is, when I'm writing these 10 things, it's not always just like the most profound, like, oh my God, I did this, that, and the other. Sometimes it's like, damn, I got a new pair of jeans I really love. Like, <laughs> it doesn't have to be that deep. It? Like, yeah, yeah like, it, it can be this, that, and the other. And so I do think that there's something to be said for just saying it until it becomes reality for you. But then like, yeah, does I think it holds more water if there's actual emotion behind it or intention behind it. But I also think like, keep speaking it into existence. Like you just do what you can, what you have. And then also be easy on yourself. Give yourself grace as far as if things are not going well or you're not feeling the feelings, then maybe take a step back and like acknowledge, why is that? Why am I not able to feel these feelings? Like it's probably fear-based and it's coming from part of you that is worried that you're not going to get to the place you want to go. So that's all about control and holding on to wanting the outcome to look exactly how you thought it should. Whereas if you let go, and go with a little bit more and just be like, okay, for some reason, this isn't feeling organic or natural to me. What can I do right now to find my next best feeling? I talk about her incessantly. Gabby Bernstein, The Universe Has Your Back, one of the best books I've ever read. I tell everyone to read it. I've read several of her books. But in her last book, she talked about basically there's this method. It's like 20 steps. And it's like, basically, if you're feeling really shit about whatever what's the next best thing you can think of that makes you feel better? And it's not necessarily your ultimate dream or whatever. It can be something so small, but the next highest vibrational feeling 
even if it's kind of mundane or it brings you to neutral, neutral is better than feeling terrible. So it's like little steps of getting toward your ultimate goal, which is feeling or having what you think you want to have or feel. So you're saying do that when you feel a certain way? Yeah. If you're like, if it isn't feeling organic and it feels forced and you're like, this isn't authentic. Yeah. Try to just get, okay. So then if that's not authentic, then, cause it's like, okay, tomorrow I want to own a yacht. Hmm. Not as realistic. Right. But like, okay, then right now, what can you feel that feels better than whatever loop you're on in your brain? Yeah. And uh, I forget who said it to me or what I was listening. I think it was Bob Proctor in his program. He, he mentioned about, it's called fear and flip, which I relate to what you're saying. It's like when you, when we have these fears of whatever it may be, X, Y, Z, I feel this way or that way. And if it's negative, literally just flip it. So I, I think what you're saying is kind of similar in a sense to just think of something better. But this was like literally flip. What if uh, I'm not going to get over my dad's loss? Flip it is, what if I get over my dad's loss and I feel great? And just put yourself in that, literally ask that question and flip it. Because Mm -hmm. I feel like when you ask that question, I feel like our brain is kind of like a, it's kind of like a Google system in some sense, where it's like a search engine, where like you ask yourself a question and it comes up with answers automatically. I think we're always talking in a question form, if you really think about it. Like, oh, what if I talk to this girl? What if I get a small, what if I get a grande instead of this or that? And all of a sudden you start talking in questions. So I feel like if you fear and flip it and kind of maybe I'm misunderstanding what you're saying, but if you do flip it and think of the positive outcome and ask that positive question to yourself, you're only going to get positive answers. And that really shifts your mentality. Totally. And also I speak to these things like I'm some profound, like, wow, I've done it, whatever. It's I'm a student constantly. Like I am an overthinker, probably worse than anyone you've ever met in your life. I, I get stuck on loops that are negative and awful and shitty. But again, to me, it's all about how quickly can you come back to center. And then even if that's neutrality, great. Start with neutrality and then see where you can get that's better feeling than whatever you're feeling in that moment. Was this applied during your process of grieving your mother or was this stuff that you learned afterwards? Like what was your first, if you can remember, like your first year? Like what was that process like? So I did not handle my mom's death well. So poorly. I I cannot think of a worse, every mechanism, every just every self-destructive thing you can possibly think about is what I chose to lean into because I, um, a little bit more background about my mom, cause it might make it make more sense, but I know I told you this, me and my mom share a birthday. We are the same person. I was so dependent on her. We used to lay in bed every single night. And I mean, through her illness. So like I'd come home from college and we watched Nick at night until she fell asleep. And then I would, if I was going out with my friends or doing whatever, every single night, we used to hold hands in the grocery store. Like Literally, that is the kind of closeness that we had. It was just like, and I'm so lucky to have had something that debilitated me so badly after the fact because it was so profound and wonderful. And like, I'm pretty confident I'll never experience a love like that. I think it will be different love. I think there's love around us all the time. And I'm so blessed in my life right now to have that perspective. But like, it was different. You know, your mommy loves you in a different way. And like, she was really the best. But like, she, I had an anxiety disorder long before she got sick. I had issues with depressions, depression long before she got sick. And then she, it was kind of an ebb and a flow. Like my first issues with real depression, this is really sad, but I was like 13. I had a really, really bad experience in eighth grade, really bad. I was bullied to the extent like police were involved several times. I got jumped. Like it was horrific, really traumatizing. 
And that was my first bout I can remember of like real, real depression. And then maybe one other time in high school. And then when I got to college, I was feeling really good. I had worked my ass off to be there. It was fun. I had a great college experience. I was my senior year. I'm taking the classes I want to take. I'm having so much fun. And then this happens to me. And I remember feeling so bitter and frustrated that I went to school with all these kids that had easy upbringings and affluent upbringings. And my mom, I would all the time, I'd come home and she'd be crying about money and this and that. And I'd always be like, mom, we're so lucky. Like we have each other, like fuck the rest. We'll figure it out. I know we will. We always do. Like I was her champion in that way. And then when I will literally never forget when my sister, because they were said they were going to call me after the doctor's appointment a week after her surgery and they didn't. And we met at the pickup point after I was coming back from school and the second I got in the car and I went, she's dying. Because I knew, because they didn't, they wanted to wait till I was in person, like eight to 12 months. And I remember getting out of the car and screaming and like, she like came around. I was like, don't touch me. And I like, remember, I'll never forget for the rest of my life being like, okay, you need to mentally budget. You have eight to 12 months left with your mother. The person that your anxiety is already really bad. And the only person that makes you feel tethered in any kind of way. So right after she got sick, my anxiety like went over the edge. And anyone who has real anxiety knows it's very physical. It's extremely painful. It is, I would not wish it on anyone. To this day, I have issues with anxiety and it's, I'm lucky to be where I am, but I'll still have like one bad day a month that is really humbling. That reminds me of what it felt like, like for three years after she died. And I'm not even exaggerating at all. My anxiety, my resting anxiety was a seven to eight every single day. Like I would picture myself like, jumping off of my balcony of my townhouse, not to like want to do that, but because I was in so much agony, my brain, I feel like was showing me that because I was, it was so hard to live every day. I had a panic attack, severe panic attack, like at least three times a week. Like it was incessant. And again, I'm drinking, I'm doing drugs, I'm self-harming, I'm sleeping with people that don't care about me. Like all, that's what I did during that time. And it was just, it was a nightmare. Like each day felt worse than the last. And I, I was suicidal when my mom got sick. Fully planned on killing myself was like, I'm done. I've had at this point, at least four major traumas in my life, like periods. And I'm 21 at this time. I'm not old. Like I, I wasn't a kid like you were, but I was still really young. And like, again, I had always kept this positive attitude of how lucky we were and whatever. And then God, the universe, whatever is like, yeah, go fuck yourself. We're going to, your mom's going to die. So that's where I was at. And I started dating someone that I went to school with and like right after we graduated, and I ended up dating him for a few years. And if I had not been dating him, like I was fully checked out and was like, the second my mom dies, I'm not going to ever make her live in a world where I don't exist. I'm done. No skin off my nose. Like I've done my best. And then I started dating him. So I ended up you know, sticking it out and feeling like I had something to live for. But then obviously when that relationship ended, the cycle kind of continued. But yeah, my grieving process, it wasn't even a process, if you could call it that. Like, and I I went to therapy, I'm on medication, I did all these things. But looking back, I had to forgive that girl in a big way, like all the source of my problems, like I could speak to this person that hurt me and that person that hurt me in this circumstance and that one. But beyond my mom dying, I was the source of my problems. I was the source of my grief. I was the source of why things were not working out for me. And a lot of that was like romantic relationships and otherwise. And finally, when I was able to tap into that, that's literally been the last three years that like 
I really drilled down and did the work to get to where I am right now, which is so happy, thriving, couldn't be better. Like it, it took me such a long time and I had no grace in doing it. Like I, and mind you, it's like my sister, I watched, but my sister's also very normal and has normal brain chemistry and didn't go through some of the same experiences that I did. So she went through it in a way that made it look really easy. And like, I'm like, well, we have the same mom. Like, why is it so much harder for me and whatever? But you know, everyone's different. You have different relationships, whatever. But I had other friends that had parents die and, and people who are close to them that made it look easy. And then everything felt really difficult for me. But again, I forgive her because I did go through a lot, but I made things difficult for me for a really, really long time. So what was it that made that switch or realization? Because you said this was of the last three years that you really feel like you made the switch. Mm -hmm. So was it a specific moment or a rock bottom or was it, what was it that kind of really shifted you? So I think that it was a lot of bad tasting medicine that the patient needed. And I think that I felt like I had gotten to a point in my life that I had reached that plane where I was like, oh, I'm healed and things are good and whatever, but it was circumstantial. And then when COVID happened and I felt very isolated, I was single during the time. I, I was in a weird workplace in my life, like all these other things that I had placed my worth and self-value in dissipated. And again, I don't, I don't mean to say why me, because everyone had a hard time during COVID. People, a lot of people died during COVID. I totally get that. But it was very isolating. And I, like I said, I'm mentally ill. I had something I'll deal with for the rest of my life. I'm lucky that it's been very managed and I have resources. But at the time, wasn't therapy. I was off my medication, just all these different things. And it pushed me into this really dark phase of my life that was really sink or swim in a way that I hadn't experienced since my mom died. And so I basically really sat with it and was like, do you want to be happy and live your best life? Or do you want to tap out? Because that's where you're at. Either you off yourself or you go forward from this place and you don't come back here and you are reborn into like this new version of you. So those are your choices. Yes, what happened is awful. What happened to your mother is fucking awful. What happened to you here, here, and here, that was fucking awful. That is not in your control. What is in your control is how you react to it and how much longer do you want the narrative and your entire personality to be the death of your mom? Because I realized I would be like, hi, my name, my name is Dana. My mom's dead. Not, hi, my name's Dana. I love sharks. I have these interests. I just started doing tennis. I like stand-up comedy. I love my friends. I love Olive Garden. I love this, that, and the other. Like, like I just realized I had hid behind her dying in such a big way that didn't allow space for anything positive, anything real, anything past her. Because I think now looking back, I didn't want to get past her because then she's really dead. And that all really happened. And so it was just myself being, getting in my own way, as my therapist would say. Yeah, that, that's it. What you just said, I don't know why that hit me, hit me so hard, was once you get over it, then it makes it, and then she's dead. Then it's over. But isn't that weird? It's like we know we know that's done, but until you get over it, God, you speak so elegantly. This is, you speak so clearly. That I don't know. Out of everything you just said, that just hit me the most in regards to like, it's that. It's it's the hanging on. It's the holding on to that luggage and not letting go. 
Well, my mom, something that really plagued me for a long time too, my mom died worried about me. One of the last cognitive moments she had, and I know this, she told my sister, she's, I'm worried about Dana because I had had these issues with depression and other things growing up and she had seen that and she was like, basically saying like, I don't know if she's going to pull through. Like, I know how much she depends on me and, you know, Brittany, you're going to be fine. Like, I know that you're going to be okay, but I'm worried about Dana and that fucking crushed me for so long that like, my mom fully died worried about me. But then it was kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy because I held on to that for so long. And then randomly, Courtney, best childhood friend whose mom died a year after my mom and they were friends, uh, a few years later, she was getting acupuncture. And the acupuncturist was like, hey, I'm so sorry. I just want to let you know I'm a medium and I have some people coming forward for you right now. And I don't, you know, I don't want to catch you off guard. So if you don't want to have a reading, we don't have to, but I'd love to like do this. And... Her mom came through and her mom's like the sweetest lady. I like loved her mom. And then the next, she's like, oh, sorry, one second. She's yelling. Like there's, she's a lot to deal with and blah, blah, blah. And I remember Courtney and I were living together at the time. So like when she came, I'll never forget that. It was like, oh, so obviously my mom and her energy. And she was like shoving through all the other dead people and was like, listen to me, tell Dana she can get over it. I'm sick of this shit. She can move on. I'm fine. Everyone's fine. She cannot keep doing this. Like, fuck her. She can get over it. I'm done with this. Like, she is who she is. Like, you are my daughter. You can get over it. And I remember when Courtney told me that, I felt so angry and was like, bitch, fuck you. You can get over it. Like, you died on me, so I'm not really dealing with that right now. Like, you don't get to tell me to get over you because I can't and whatever. But like, now looking back, it's like, yeah, of course I could. And truly, I didn't just button this up. I'm telling you, it's interesting we're having this conversation now because this is really, like, it has been happening over the last three years, the last two months of my life. It really manifested. Like, I'm finally there where I'm like, oh my God, yeah, I'm Dana. That's, I have an entire personality in life that has nothing to do with my dead mom. And as much as I love her and as much as what happened to us was horrific and will always be part of my story. I made it my entire book. And now it's just a chapter that's done. Like I'm I'm just done with that being, I can't do it anymore. I'm 32 years old and life, as I'm sure you feel this way and people probably listening feel this way, is really fleeting. And it's like, I've spent a third of my life being completely rotten from the inside out because of the loss of someone I love when the kicker is, that would devastate her to no end that I didn't just push through and, you know, use it. But also I'm stubborn as fuck and like such a mess. So obviously I was going to be a mess during that time. And she knew that, but like better late than never. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's when you say it's a chapter, you close that chapter and it's, it is kind of relatable to reading a book. It's like, okay, I read that book, but I'm not going to forget. I read that book. You know what I mean? It's like, just cause you, you identify as Dana now, as opposed to Dana who lost her mom. It's like, you don't forget. You know what I mean? It's because I feel like we think no. of like letting go. It's like, I let go. I'm not going to sad. this. Like, no, you still miss the person. It's still a part of you. You still think of her, blah, blah, blah. But there is a part of just letting go that is so important. It seems like that was the click that happened. But it's like, just, it just happened abruptly in some in some way. Like, it was like, kind of like you woke up in the morning and was like, wait a second, I feel lighter. No, it's it's totally been a slow burn. And again, I think that was unique to me because I am stubborn and I our brains are so powerful. And I told you this. So showing up tonight, I got a parking spot and like on a street that doesn't have 
great parking, but I knew I was going to get a parking spot because I always do because my mom always did. So when I told myself over and over and over and over, you can't get over this. You're going to be miserable forever. I made her my reason for everything. Why every bad thing happened to me after she died. This relationship that didn't work out. Well, my dead mom, like if I didn't have a dead mom, I'd probably, that relationship would have been great. Oh, that job didn't work out. Well, if my mom was alive. How the job probably how, how, how? Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. It's not rational. It wasn't, it wasn't it's, rational. It's not okay. rational. It's me part of that trying to stay in line with that story. So it was a slow burn. But then it, I feel like accelerated in the last two months of like, I had a, I had a life event, life change. And through that life change, I think it was a test of consistency. Whereas like before I would have maybe fallen apart or gone back to old patterns, but I think it was showing like the proof is in the pudding that like I am in as good of a place as I say that I am and I, that I feel. And honestly, this sounds nuts because I could have saved myself a lot of time and a lot of grief. I wouldn't have changed a fucking thing. I would not have done it any sooner. I wouldn't have gotten to this place. It happened the way it was supposed to happen for me. And now I feel like I have a lot of knowledge to pass on to others and help others that could avoid the way that I went through it because I suffered much longer than I needed to because I wanted to suffer. So even though you don't want, you wouldn't do anything differently because it puts you where you are now, which I couldn't agree with more. What is it, even though you've kind of, you've covered it, for someone listening right now to avoid them from going through what you went through, is there something that you can hone in on? Like of what you're saying, you can teach to someone that you're saying of what you've gone through. Maybe it's a synopsis or a summary of what you already spoke about, obviously. But because I feel like it's kind of tough because I think people just need to, like what you said, you need to go through what you had to go through. With timetable, this or that, I think that's part of it. So it's like, it's, it's tough to say. I've always been someone that likes to look at other people's experiences and learn from it to hopefully shorten that time period, which I think what you're trying to accomplish by teaching what you went through to other people going through it now. But how do you, how do you have someone avoid, avoid that without going through it? You know what I mean? Does that make? I think that everyone's different. So perhaps there's more messes out there in the world like me that just had to go through it. But then I think there's people who maybe could have gone through things quicker or found enlightenment enlightenment sooner. Um, so that would, this would be me speaking to that. And I would say the biggest thing is to be kind to yourself. And I know that sounds so corny and it is, it's like, God, did I see this on like a Pinterest board? Like (laughs) we get it, but I did not give myself nearly enough grace during that time to just sit in the fact that like this happened to me. And for me personally, I had a lot of trauma before my mom ever died. So like it was just really compounded. And then getting yourself out of the narrative that you can't get out of where you are because you can. And it's totally fine to sit there as long as you need to. There's another writer that I love, Glennon Doyle. Do you know who that is? Mm -mm. Okay. So my sister, she also has a podcast and it's called We Can Do Hard Things. And my sister sent me an episode because I had a relapse, whatever you want to call it, in January of this year. Like I had a quick depressive episode. It wasn't as bad as it's been in the past. It was kind of out of nowhere. And it felt like a bummer to me. And I felt like it's been a year now. I've gotten myself in this great place. Like I felt kind of shame around that. I was like, why am I feeling this way if things are so great in my life? And basically she had, she had an eating disorder and she had a relapse. She went to the beach one day with her wife and their kids. And there's this like staircase getting down to the beach and there was a hike they were going to go on. And she had just told her wife, like, this is what's happening with me. They were going to go on the hike. And then she felt called to go down the staircase. She went down the staircase. 
And it was like this really long staircase and a landing. And then another staircase that went kind of through a cave to the beach. She sat on the landing and she was like, okay, I can keep going down into this dark cave or I can sit here on this landing because she's like looking back up at the staircase. and was like, that feels really big right now and a lot to do. So I'm just going to sit here on this landing. And then she was like, I realize that's where I am in my life. I'm on the landing. Meaning at any time you can recognize I can keep going down the current trajectory I'm on and go into the darkness and whatever bad path that is. Or I can give space for myself and be kind to myself and say like, this is the best I can do right now. I'm going to stay on the landing. I'm not going to go any farther down. I'm going to stay right here where I am. And then when I feel well enough, I'm going to start with the first step start heading back up the stairs. I'm tired, so I just want to sit in the landing right now. But I don't have to do the whole staircase. I'm just going to hang out here, and then when I feel ready, I'm going to go back up. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. And I was just like, that's what I would tell people. Like, it's okay to be as dark and in despair as that you are, but you're there, and you just have to hold space for where you are. Whatever that looks like, be where you are, and know whenever you're ready, you can start the steps. And by the way, like in times that I've been out of therapy or off medication or haven't gotten help, it's because it feels really big. And it is. It's so massive. And so instead of looking at it as a whole thing, look at what you can do in the immediate. Very small things you can do to hang on and triage. You don't have to heal. You don't have to do the whole thing. Triage. So if you're in the thick of grief, also highly recommend not like you know, getting blocked out and doing drugs and fucking losers. Like, those are great options for you. I'm just saying, if you do do those things, it's also good to forgive yourself and know that it was part of your process of what you thought triage was. But then start looking into what that would really be for you in a productive way. But you don't have to have the whole thing figured out. Start with the first step and the landing. I love the landing. I hang out there a lot. Fucking Christ. I feel like you just read me a book. <laughs> That's because I never shut up. <laughs> no. That is, I was like, I feel like my life is flashing between my eyes. Every mistake, everything I did just kind of was like, oh my Your God. Your dad's dick. Yeah, my dad's <laughs> It all comes full circle and that's exactly where we're going to end it. We're going to end it with my dad's dick. Mom, I don't know if you listen this far on my podcast, but we'll talk about it later. That was brilliant. And it's really cool to actually speak because I know you emphasized that. I feel like it, it was a recent, um, I don't want to say epiphany, but a, you've had a com- some kind of experience in the last few months that's kind of brought you to a better place or maybe a different landing spot perhaps. And it's weird how that works out, strange how that works out, but it's cool to have you here at this place for real. I'm so glad to be at this place and this place with you. Thank yeah, you for having me on. Yeah, no. Love people with dead parents. They're the best kind of people to talk to. It's the only people I really want to talk to. So if your parents are still alive, talk to me in a few years. Yeah, fuck off. Yeah, fuck off. It's like. going for all of you. Winter's coming, okay? Um, no, for real, I think uh, it seems you're very clear on everything you've gone through. I don't know if it's because you're just so articulate and smart and concise with everything, which can also be a double-edged sword because when you're that concise and smart, you get even deeper with your thoughts, I'm sure, which probably relates to why you get so in your head. wasn't really going anywhere with that, but I just want to thank you for being here. Seriously, I think you're amazing. I'm happy I've met you. I'm happy you shared this space with me and and definitely taught me and the people that are listening right now, hopefully that can help them through the journey where they are right now. 
Well, hopefully your listenership doesn't fall off. And if it doesn't, I'd love to come back sometime. But we'll see. Watch. You're going to put this episode out. And it's like, yeah, I mean, if you're good at manifesting parking spots, <laughs> manifest me like a million more followers after this episode. So okay. focus on that. Perfect. Yeah, I will. Right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for everyone listening. Um, is there anything you want to say in regards to, I'm going to put all your shit in the bottom if you even want people to find you. But is there any, any plugins you want to drop right now for those listening? Um, no, I don't have any plugins. I mean, I have just been getting into TikTok and obsessed with it lately. So I'm at Dana Kathan, Dana with a Y. You got a great personality for all that shit. It's crazy. Thanks. I hope so. I mean, I'm, again, I did it as a reaction, honestly, to a breakup, like started really doing it. And I've just been having fun and fucking around. And also TikTok, I resisted it for so long. I'm so glad I gave in. It's fucking informative. I've learned more on TikTok in the last two months than I have my entire four-year yeah, I wonder, it's, education. It's so There are a lot of really cool videos when I have looked that are super informative. I just wonder if it's more informative for us or is it more informative for China? But God, I don't care. Take my info. I don't give a fuck. Get, the planet is on fire. <laughs> I don't care. Literally, we're all going to die in 20 years. I was say, so enjoy this. Like Feel yourself through your grief, but we're all going to die. So I don't, <laughs> Life's meaningless. Anyway, Dead Talks, <laughs> we out. Thank you so much.